great. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> Um, thank you, Rob, for leading us. Thank you, Tabs, for the reading in your beautiful Welsh accent. I noticed the, fr the, uh, the Welsh flag is front and central here. Was that your kind of influence? <laughs> so, um, as you said, we're going to carry on with Paul's letter to the uh, Philippians as part of this One Thing series. And just to get those grey cells of yours uh, moving a little bit, because I know what Sundays are like, you know, Sunday lunch, they just kind of go a bit dormant, don't they? Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. Anyway, I'm going to show you an image, and I want you to, uh, if you're up for it, just to talk to the person next to you, and uh, see if you can work out what connects the three different images. Okay, what connects these three different images? Lots of shrugging going. <laughs> A few, a few muttered conversations. It's a, it, it is a hard one. Although someone did get it this morning. Go on. Is it something about obsession? Or... Very close, actually. Very close. Yeah. If, I might go with that. Yeah. Yeah. That is that kind of idea. Yes. Yeah, similar, similar um, thought. So the mother here, she has a newborn baby. She has. Um, what's uniting them all is this is this thought that there's something of value that is worth protecting. Um, so the mother here of uh, this newborn baby, um, you know what mums are like with newborn babies, they will talk endlessly about them, show photos of them tirelessly to whoever wants to see them or not, uh, and do anything to protect them. Chris Packham, naturalist, his, his passion, what he cares about more than anything else is the environment, and he will go to great lengths uh, to protect the environment. He will challenge our Prime Minister over his net zero policy and put himself in the firing line because the environment matters to him. And, of course, um, at, at the end, some of you may or may not recognise that character. That's Gollum from the Lord of the Rings trilogy um, who will do anything to keep safe the precious ring that he's lost or to uh, regain it uh, once he's lost it. And the, the point of this is that if you recognise that kind of passion or obsession in someone you know or maybe in yourself, then you might have an insight into how the Apostle Paul felt about something. One thing he cared about more than anything else. One thing that mattered to him more than anything else. And that was knowing Christ. It mattered to him so much that like this mother uh, with her newborn baby, he could write tire tirelessly about it. He never got bored of his subject. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and again. You know, young parents are like that, aren't they? I think often they'll, they'll talk forever about their baby and uh, not find it a hardship to keep talking about their baby. They'll repeat little stories to friends, to strangers, to anyone they meet with no loss of enthusiasm, because that baby matters to them more than anything else. And, you know, not, not unreasonably so. And it's a safeguard for you, Paul says. It was something Paul cared about, and constantly reinforcing it to the Philippians was, for Paul, a protective act. Now, whenever we safeguard children or vulnerable adults, we are taking action to, pro to protect them and to promote their welfare. And Paul had a safeguarding agenda. He was taking action to protect 
and to promote the spiritual welfare of the Christians in Philippi. He was already in prison for the gospel. Later on, he would die for the gospel. Uh, That was the, the price he was willing to pay. Why? Because of this one thing, knowing Christ, that mattered. Because it affects final human destinies. So Paul saw this as a safeguarding issue. And so with with that agenda in mind, uh, in this passage, Paul shares three things. So first of all, he shares a warning about those who had put the one thing out of reach of others. And then secondly, he will share uh, a rejection of those things that take him personally away from that one thing. And then finally, um, he'll share about his own commitment to his life ambition from this point on to pursue the one thing. That's the structure. If you want to follow it in your Bibles, you may find that helpful uh, to do so. But we'll be recapping on all of the verses that uh, have been read to us already. So verses two to three, first of all. Paul writes this warning about those who had put the one thing, knowing Christ, out of reach of other people. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. So first of all, who is he talking about? Well, he's talking about some adherents of the Jewish faith who claimed to know God, but who insisted that circumcision, that's what that phrase, mutilated as the flesh, is referring to. They insisted that circumcision was necessary to have a proper relationship with God. But their claim to know God was false because it was exposed by their actions. Paul refers to them as those evildoers. So that's the group of people he's talking about. Why does he use such strong language? Because let's be clear, when Paul says those dogs, you should not be picturing a Bichon Frise, uh, a word I learned quite recently. As I explained when I spoke on Jesus' words in Matthew 7, 6, if you were here on that occasion in our Beatitude series, we should be picturing wild dogs, scavengers, potentially dangerous dogs that are uh, ready to bite you. So it's strong language, and Jesus wasn't afraid to use strong language himself. Here, here he is in Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves don't enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. You snakes, you brood of vipers. Note the similarity between Jesus' words and Paul's words. Paul called them dogs. Jesus calls them snakes and vipers. Why such strong language? Because those they were speaking about were putting God out of other people's reach. So the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, according to Jesus, and these particular Jews in Philippi, according to Paul, were peddling a counterfeit knowledge of God. They were keeping people out of a relationship with God. And Paul points out two marks of their counterfeit offer and two marks of the genuine offer. So the counterfeit offer, says Paul, is just physical change to the human anatomy. 
Paul's opponents would have argued that circumcision was instituted by God. It was given by God. And, of course, they were right. But in addition to that, Moses said in Deuteronomy and Jeremiah, the prophet said, um, talked about a circumcision of the heart. So it wasn't just about the external act, the physical act. It was also about a circumcision of the heart as well, a change of orientation towards God, not just a physical change. And the counterfeit offer is also, Paul says, it's just talk about the spirits, but it's just talk because they continue to be evildoers. There's no evidence of the spirit's fruit or the spirit's power in their lives. Whereas the genuine offer, says Paul, glories in Christ Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our route to a relationship with God. No one gets to know God except through Jesus. And the genuine offer has no confidence in the flesh. What does that mean? Well, he's now going to go on to explain what he means by that, because having shared this warning about those who put knowing God out of the reach of other people, he now starts to talk about his own rejection of those things that took him personally further away from the one thing. If someone else thinks they've reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So Paul lists a number of things that previously he thought were religious advantages or badges of honour to boast about that he believed at that time brought him closer to God. So he says he was circumcised on the eighth day, just like a Jewish boy should be. He was a pure Israelite, not, not some convert from another race. And he was from the tribe of Benjamin. So this is Benjamin was Jacob's very special son. Um, who his beloved wife Rachel died giving birth to. In other words, he had the perfect ancestry. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he was a law-abiding Pharisee. So the Pharisees were the, the sect, society of strict scholars and moral adherence to Moses' law. In other words, Paul had the perfect qualifications he was previously a persecutor of Christians. In other words, he had the drive, the passion, the religious seal. And he was faultless in his adherence to the Pharisaic moral code. In other words, he had model character. No skeletons in his wardrobe. So Paul had the perfect CV, the perfect religious resume for a God follower. But when he came to know Christ personally... He tore that up. It was no longer a list of all his advantages. Instead, it was a list of things that could potentially cause him to trip up in his pursuit of God. Because he might put his confidence in those things rather than in Christ himself. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. A young man went for a job interview. He put on a great fitting suit, smart shoes. He looked the business. He felt confident. He went into the interview and got the job. 
And from the interview, he then went on to a paintballing event with his mates, but he forgot to bring a change of clothes. So his suit was now a real inconvenience. He was slipping all around, you know, all over the place in his, uh, in his, in his shoes. What was to his advantage in one context, in the context of the, in of the interview, now became a disadvantage in another context. And so if the, this is how it was for Paul. If the way to a relationship with, with God was following the law, then Paul's family tree and all of his education and religious awards, they were an advantage. But now he understood grace. These things were a hindrance to him because they were a cause for pride, not humility. They took him further away from the one thing, not closer to knowing Jesus. So we just pause at this point, I think, and ask ourselves what things might be getting in the way of our relationship with God, either knowing him at all for the first time or growing in our knowledge of him. Are we proud of our ancestry? Are we proud of our qualifications? All the good things we've done? All the money we've raised for charity or given to charity? Are we proud of all the, the worthy projects we've sponsored or supported? Proud of our religious seal, our drive, or our character. Proud of our church attendance. And so the list goes on. Pride in any of these things takes us further away from the one thing, knowing Christ, and not closer to it. So Paul has shared a warning about those who had put the one thing out of reach of others. He's talked about his rejection of those things that took him further away from the one thing. And then finally, in this final section, he writes about his commitment to his ambition to pursue the one thing. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So this is a hard passage. It's hard because the sentences are long, and convoluted because it's not obvious what some things mean and because Paul's ambition challenges our own. But I think some things are clear. Um, first of all, it's clear what Paul's ambition was. Paul wanted to know Christ. This was the one thing that mattered most. I find the phrase to gain Christ an interesting one. The Greek word implies an increase. So a couple of examples from elsewhere in the New Testament. Uh, in the, the parable, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. Or Paul, to the Corinthians, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win, to gain the Jews. So it suggests to me that in the context of knowing Christ, there's always more to know. We never, 
We never kind of get to it, get to the final place. There's always more to know. And that knowing him is profitable to us. This is Paul's ambition. This much is crystal clear. And then there are two other things that I think are clear as well. Paul wanted to know Christ fully. Now, whatever the specifics mean, Paul wanted more than just a casual acquaintance with Jesus. It wasn't enough to have heard of him or to have met him or even to know him. He wanted to get closer and closer. He wanted to get close enough so that the same power that raised Christ from the dead was flowing through him too. If you know some of his backstory, um, told in Acts chapter 16, he'd commanded an unclean spirit to come out of a slave girl, which had led to a riot. He'd been locked up in prison with Silas, and there'd been an earthquake, and all the prison doors had flown open. So the Philippians knew when he spoke about power. They knew what Paul was talking about. So they understand what his ambition is to experience more of God's power in his life. But it's not just his power, is it? He wanted to participate in Christ's sufferings. So he wanted to be insulted like Jesus was and to be persecuted like Jesus was. Why? Because he considered it a privilege, even a gift. So in chapter 1, verse 29, he, he writes... It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It's been granted to you. It's a gift. I wonder if you've ever thought about suffering for Christ in those terms. So it's clear what Paul's ambition was to know Christ. It's clear he wanted him to know he wanted to know him more fully, experiencing his power and sharing in his suffering. And thirdly, it's clear that Paul wanted to know Christ by faith, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You know what the difference is between a ladder and an escalator? To get to the top of a ladder... You do the work. To get to the top of an escalator, you step on the escalator and the escalator does the work. I'd like to suggest that Paul had abandoned the ladder. All those rungs that were taking him nearer to God, or so he thought at the time, so the rung of his ancestry, the rung of his qualifications, the rung of his drive, the rung of his character, all of those things... He now considered all that stuff garbage. Why? Because ultimately they were leading him nowhere. They were leading him further away from God. But now by faith he's on the escalator. What do you need to do to get to the top of an escalator? We just step on it. All you need is trust. Just sufficient trust to step on the escalator. You don't need a lot of faith, just enough to step on. And then the escalator does the work. 
So I want to close by asking you some questions. First one is uh, an obvious one, maybe. It's, does knowing God matter to you? You know, honestly, some of us might say, well, at this particular point in my life, not particularly. If we can just pursue our, our image or our metaphor for a moment, maybe kind of living, living your life down here on this level is enough for you at this point. But is that all there is? Is all that we can see and touch and feel and smell, is that all there is? Or is there something more? But if knowing God does matter to you, then how are you going about knowing him more? Because it's possible that we have a faith in God, but we still feel that we need to climb that ladder to get to know him better. Maybe we feel that um, you know, our good character is going to put us on the right side of God or our good deeds or something else is going to win favor with God. Are we hanging on to those beliefs? Because that way leads us nowhere. It leads us nowhere. Paul is inviting us to step onto the escalator of faith and to let the escalator do the work, let Jesus get the work, do the work. You know, I don't know if you've done what I've done um, at airports where you, you get on one of these escalators that's kind of going along um, and you're kind of smiling at the people that you're walking, you know. They're, they're walking you on the escalator, so you're kind of smiling. Because you're walking as well. You're not just on the escalator, you're walking on the escalator. Or, or if you're a bit late for your plane, you're running on the escalator. But on this particular escalator, that doesn't really help you at all. That's just extra wasted effort. But that's not to say we just twiddle our thumbs. Because if, if Jesus can be the gate for the sheep and the good shepherd... John chapter 10, then I'd like to suggest he can be the escalator and your companion on the escalator. Someone to get to know better, someone to get to know more fully, even in his power and yes, maybe even in his suffering. Knowing him is the one thing that matters. I'm going to ask Rob to come up with the band and while he's doing that, Let's just, let's just pause for a moment and let's just be quiet before God. And I want you to answer that question for yourself, just between you and God. Does knowing God matter to you? And what's your answer? If knowing him more is is a yes as far as you're concerned, then what does that look like for you? Or maybe you're here tonight, you're just here because a friend has brought you or here for some other reason and you can't hand on heart say that you know God personally. Maybe you've been trying to find him in all sorts of different ways. Um, and God is calling you to step out in faith, to trust in him tonight. Lord, whatever you are prompting us to do in our hearts, give us courage and faith to respond.
In Jesus' name, amen.